0: Welcome to the IEEE Future Networks podcast series, Podcasts with the Experts, an IEEE Future Directions Digital Studio production. In this episode, we discuss Massive MIMO with Rose Hu, Christine, and Robert Montlouis, the three co-chairs of the Massive MIMO Working Group for the International Network Generations Roadmap. I'm Brian Walker with the IEEE Future Directions Digital Recording Studio. Firstly... Thank you all for taking time to contribute to the IEEE Future Networks podcast series. Let's begin with a question for Weber. What are the challenges of controlling massive mobile elements? For example, multitudes of antenna elements.
1: So uh, the process of controlling uh, the uh, multiple antenna elements in an array, we have to be able to generate the width vector so that we can steer the antenna beam in the desired location. So as we increase the number of antenna elements, now you kind of understand the number of weight elements that we have to calculate, or also called the weight vector, is becoming uh, more difficult. So now we need to start asking the question, well, can we do that at the antenna level? Is it possible? But, now, this, today we are dealing with uh, 64 elements in 5G, but as we try to look at the envision feature for massive MIMO, where you have that many number of elements, it may not be possible to do that calculation at the antenna level. Therefore, we need to start looking at the edge computing to help us determine the weight vector because we will need to kind of somewhat implement optimization approaches to come up with the optimum weight vector to minimize interference. So therefore the edge computing where we have most compute resources may help us in that process. And then also we need to come up with very efficient uh, transmit receive beam forming approaches to minimize interference and then as it, as it, as is it today users have many devices to try to connect to the network so therefore interference is there especially in the urban environment so this type of thinking leads to what we call typically in the architecture world, no system architecture or partitioning, where we partition the workload, having the antenna perform what it does best, and then have the edge computing supplement what the antenna was supposed to do, but does not have the resources to do the work. So as we move to that envisioned future by IEEE, having that many uh, internal elements, we need to look at new techniques. As is it today with 64 elements, uh, we kind of see a lot of approaches are borrowing from uh, legacy systems. But as we move to 6G and beyond, uh, we have to come up with new 6G or 5G concepts to help us with this future. Well, the best way to do that, as we know it, is to engage in basic research. So therefore, IEEE is well positioned to approach academia to tell them, hey, this is the problem that I'm dealing with. And they will come up with new concepts, new algorithm, and new techniques. Not all of them will work, but what we learned from the past, some of these techniques, some of these concepts and algorithms will work uh, and help us fulfill the goal of this envisioned future.
0: So, Bear, as the number of devices increases, the workload at the antenna will become massive what if a UE can connect directly to the edge cloud processor without using the base station?
1: This idea is known as the self-free massive MIMO. So in that framework, we have many access points where the UE is connected directly to the edge computing unit, bypassing the base station. Well, now we just talked about how it is it may be difficult to come up with the the level of computation that we need to service all the UA's using the base station. So now this is becoming very attractive now as we increase the number of elements. So that is we minimizing the workload at the base station and then shifting the some of the work to the edge computing. Well, there's a caveat with that. This approach has its own issues because either connecting to the base station or the edge computing unit, both techniques need to be working simultaneously because there will be cases where the UE will not be able to connect to the uh, edge computing unit, and where they have to connect directly uh, to the base station, because distributing the system, distributing the work with many uh, internal elements or access point is massive and costly. So in an urban area, this is feasible. But as you move to the remote areas, the cost of doing that may not work efficiently.
0: So how can we work with research, academia, and industry to determine how technology can meet the envisioned future?
1: So as a matter of fact, this uh, INGR initiative by IEEE uh, is well positioned to play that role. So. Most of the members in academia, they are connected with IEEE. And also their work in that area will help facilitate or improve how the 5G or and beyond network or meeting this evident future be feasible. Engaging academy, academia to discuss research areas is paramount. And the goal of IEEE is to expose the need to academia. And then with that, no concept will emerge. As I previously mentioned, not all the concepts will work, but that's, this is the best scenario to ensure that this individual future with the massive number of elements uh, new receiver architecture, uh, efficient uh, uh, chip design to minimize power be developed. Once we move from the basic research phase, and IEEE also can play a major role by engaging industry to help them understand what is coming down from basic research. And the requirements that we need to ensure that we meet power efficiency, latency requirements in 6G wireless and beyond.
0: Okay, this next question for Chris: What can you tell us about whether to ORAN or no RAN? All right, that is indeed the question. So
2: let's begin by defining the concept. Right, when we talk about open RAN or open radio access network we mean this paradigm that there's a well-defined and open interface between the different components of a cellular network so for example there's a uh, open interface between the baseband processor um, you know between the uh, antenna um, antenna system the the gateway system uh, the radio and so on right so the idea is Say you are a brilliant wireless engineer or a startup, and then you come up with the next massive MIMO system. That is great. If you conform to those open interface, you can actually take your system and plug it into the existing network, right? So the service provider can sort of mix and match and get the, um, you know, the best component or the most innovative solution, uh, for each part of the network. So this is in contrast to, um, you know, you can say maybe the traditional way in a uh, how companies build out a cellular network. Uh, traditionally, if you want to deploy a certain cellular system, you pretty much have to get the whole system from one of the big uh, manufacturers, right? What we call OEMs. It's very hard or almost impossible to, let's say, swap out one component and then plug in another component. So I would say um, really within the past few years, and particularly within the last year, the industry trend is, um, the the industry players sort of recognize the advantage of this open architecture um, for the the brand, for the radio access network system, right? Uh, You get accelerated pace of innovation, you know, anyone can, you know, bring in the the, the, the next best component. And it's also driving down the cost, right? Because I'm not, I don't have to buy the whole system from a certain one company. I can really select the best from anyone available in this ecosystem. So I would say the industry trend is really moving towards this open RAN concept.
0: So Chris, what do you think the risks and rewards are of bringing intelligence into RAN?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, within the... Um, massive MIMO working group, right? In our group, we think that hey, when you, just like uh, Weber mentioned that, when you have so many antenna elements, it is really an intelligent system, right? Because each of the antenna element, it can do some sensing, so it can collect some data from the environment. And you can also control it, right? We talked about you can control the phase and magnitude for each of this um individual element together. So instead of a traditional RAN, um, I think when when people think about traditional RAM would be like something like a passive antenna. You put it there, it radiates something, but there's really not much you do with it. But now we think that an intelligent RAN system would be something almost autonomous. You know, it collects some data about the environment, maybe sensing where the traffics are, and it's also able to make its own decision, right? Using the latest machine learning and artificial intelligence algorithms, hey, to say, let's say form a beam, you know uh, that to improve the uh, the quality of service for user you know for example in a, a concrete example hey if i'm the cellular network i notice you're driving down a highway right okay and then you start downloading a video so okay maybe you'll be driving down the highway for the next five to ten minutes and i you know and i sense that a hey, the video streaming it will take a lot of um, bandwidth i and i want to um, Provide you with a good quality of service. Maybe the RAN module would actually make the decision to form a beam, right, and actually follow your car along the highway, so that um, no matter where you are, right, along the highway, you have a very good focused RF energy to improve the signal quality. So that is the some of the rewards we are talking about from a intelligent RAN system. But I like the question that it's. It's not just rewards, right? There's also a lot of, um, or, you know, some, some risks that one, um, you know, one, one concern that, uh, you know, our group was discussing is, okay, you can imagine if each component is doing its own thing, right? Hey, maybe can things become a little bit chaotic, right? How do you guarantee the reliability of the network? Uh, but we think in order to avoid the problem, I think the future is really about Having some kind of intelligent algorithm, you if you can think about it, sort of sitting on, on top of the network, sort of coordinate, coordinating um, these different intelligent systems to interoperate with one another um, uh, properly to, uh, to minimize this risk that each uh, element will be doing its own thing.
0: Okay, this next one's for Rose. What are your thoughts about moving beyond traditional signal processing with massive MIMO and stepping into machine learning and artificial intelligence?
3: Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, we know that uh, currently we are facing dramatic uh, revolutions in terms of uh, networking and communication technology development and advancement. So we know that next generation wireless networks are expected to support extremely high data rates and extremely high a number of new applications. So all those actually will require uh, new wireless technologies to support that. So those new technologies will allow uh, all those users, especially actually in the future, we expect massive uh, number of users to autonomous access, uh, very competitive uh, special bands uh, with aid of sophisticated algorithms such as uh, those signal processing and optimization schemes in order to control, say, transmission power, and to achieve energy efficiency, to tackle interference, and uh, to actually improve uh, both special efficiency and energy efficiency. So Massive MIMO is a new technology we're talking about here. It's thanks to millimeter wave and high band, we can actually pack a very high number of uh, antennas into one device so that we can actually support Massive MIMO. But traditionally, Massive MIMO is more or less based on centralized signal processing and optimization, and that actually works for, for example, for 4x4, 2x2, or even probably 8x8. But we're talking about 64 times 64, 108 times 108, or even higher. So, this actually brings lots of challenges and difficulty in supporting Massive MIMO in the traditional centralized signal processing and optimization way. So now, talking about massive MIMO, so we have uh, lots of uh, new challenges ahead of us, and we have new solutions such as, for example, uh, uh, artificial intelligence and uh, uh, machine learning, so that we can leverage the intelligence offered by machine learning and uh, artificial intelligence, to tackle those centralized uh, optimization schemes, for example, example, to uh, significantly reduce the complexity, but at the same time to improve accuracy. So a couple of uh, uh, significant, actually, the areas or the challenges people are dealing with in massive MIMO by leveraging the power and the intelligence of machine learning is, for example, channel estimation. Because channel estimation is super important in supporting MIMO, well, when we go to massive MIMO, channel estimation becomes important, but very, very difficult. So not to mention that we need to collect a large number of data from users and from the environment and feedback them to say the base station to do the centralized signal processing, then get the channel estimation results. So this actually brings complexity issue uh, overhead um, channels on um, the uh, bandwidth and also the computing and also the uh, complexity of the uh, optimization schemes. So we can leverage this uh, uh, intelligence and the power offered by machine learning and uh, also thanks to the large number of data sets we can collect uh in the mini wave environment. So by leveraging both we can actually uh, doing better or more accurate channel estimation, but with much lower complexity. And also, of course, you know, uh, this just, you know, the, uh, the, the information we get from the channel, but talking about by leveraging the channel estimated uh, from the, uh, for example, machine learning and uh, AI, then we can further use machine learning or artificial intelligence technologies to design um, massive MIMO schemes. So how, for example, how to design the uh, Informing vectors and how to uh, design the uh, transmission powers and how to uh, design, for example, the, uh, the the bandwidth allocated to each user. So this is all part of the design of massive MIMO, but again, lever- leveraging only leveraging the traditional centralized signal processing and optimization schemes, which actually become less and less feasible into the future, especially when we deal with uh, massive connectivity, high heterogeneity and high capacity uh, environment like uh, 5G or 6G and beyond. So we we can see tremendous uh, challenges ahead of uh, using massive MIMO. uh, But on the other hand, we see great opportunities offered by leveraging the intelligence of machine learning and AI to support that.
0: So Rose, powerful computing and intelligent capabilities are moving to the edge, far away from the cloud how will we identify and develop the complicated and computing-intensive signal processing needs to drive millimeter wave?
3: Uh, Machine learning uh, uh, actually can be uh, used in a distributed way. So in that case, we can leverage uh, the power offered by edge computing, for example. So especially, we'll talk about uh, uh, the uh, uh, cell-free massive MIMO. So that actually is designed to manage to tackle, for example, like the uh, uh, distributed Internet of uh, Things kind of network. You have feelings uh, of devices, they are extremely distributed with high heterogeneity. So you have centralized scheme actually normally doesn't work like we said before. So if you have some distributed antennas close to the users, they form that kind of uh, cell-free massive MIMO type of network. But this actually would uh hugely rely on uh, the computing power at the age so that they can actually design uh the uh, the minimal access schemes in the local environment but without losing those kind of uh, global information by leveraging for example further learning using uh which is very popular now in uh, machine learning uh, technologies so combining this age power age computing power that can support local computing. But also, to, uh, at the same time, by leveraging uh, distributed machine learning technology so that we can uh, greatly facilitate uh, the technology development, such as the cell-free massive MIMO, which is extremely important in the future, uh, user-centric type of network, such as IoT.
0: So let's move the conversation to opportunities and challenges related to MIMO. Chris, OpenRAN is an area where we are seeing vendors and others taking both sides. What are the pros and cons of ORAN relative to massive MyMount?
2: Yeah, relating to the vendors, I think we see a very interesting trend, right? That uh, I would say maybe a, a few years earlier, um, you know, the concept of an open RAN or open architecture. Uh, of course, we see more maybe smaller or upstart company, you know, embracing that because uh, that's one way they can very quickly bring innovation. To the cellular network, but you know we saw maybe one some of the sort of more traditional or, or bigger vendors, maybe a little bit more conservative towards that, right? But I can see in the last year that trend has changed. I, I I would say that now most of the vendors are really embracing this concept of open architecture. Maybe now the only debate is what is the timeline, right? Is it something that. That will happen very soon like let's say you know within a year or or it's just something more sort of uh, down the road right in a few years or even 10 years later and personally i think the um this open architecture concept would get adopted sooner rather than later and this is actually particularly important for massive MIMO because I, I think going back to what uh, Professor Hu said, right, that for Massive MIMO, you have a lot of hardware, a lot of antenna elements, a lot of amplifiers and so on. If everything is aggregated, if the whole system is tied together, you know, they tend to be, you know, expensive, uh, you know, power hungry, maybe heavy in, in weight and so on, right? Then you, you, it's very hard for them to get a, adopted or it will be in a very slow rate. But as the industry is moving to this open architecture, now we have the opportunity to separate out, you know, what are the most important value-adding elements. And, you know, looks like probably it will be about the, uh, you know, the machine learning algorithm, right, the, the smart AI control and so on. And if you have an open architecture, for the more generic hardware, you, you should be able to, you know, just pick the most cost effective commodity hardware and then apply your smart algorithm on top of that. So it's a little bit like the, uh, I guess the computing industry, right? You know, you can have like generic hardware, generic CPU, but you know, what is the most, um, high impact is your smart algorithm, right? Your search algorithm, your machine learning algorithm, right? Pattern, pa- pattern uh, recognition algorithm. So I think by having an open architecture, in particular, in the case of uh, massive MIMO systems, I think it can do two things. It can, um, um, you know, bring in the innovation for controlling the, the RAN layer, right? How to control those antenna elements, but also at the same time, drive the cost down for deploying massive MIMO systems. Um, you know, in terms of the cons, we we mentioned um, you know earlier that hey, how do you make sure that all these systems sort of uh, still work together, right? How do you um, uh, still ensure the the reliability of the the overall network? So again, I I I feel that uh, you know those risks are there, but it's not to be avoided, but more like I think they are actually opportunities for um, intelligent algorithms uh, f- to sort of uh, coordinate the different parts of the network so that each one of this um, component would be operating in sort of almost like an autonomous uh, manner. And, you know, they can work together to bring out the, this accelerated pace of innovation.
0: This next question for Rose, how do we leverage powerful computing and intelligent capabilities at the edge to deliver complicated and computing intensive signal processing needs to drive millimeter wave?
3: Uh, In order to drive millimeter wave, we first need to understand the millimeter wave. So we say before, millimeter wave, high capacity uh, because of the high spectrum and uh, low distance communication and uh, also uh, very, very uh, poor channel. So by saying that, I think, uh, well, edge computing and AI are two great technologies actually to work together with this uh, massive MIMO. There are extensive active research areas, uh, research projects in this area. Actually my own research group is actively research, uh, doing research in this area as well. We know that the communication actually can be done both uh, uplink and downlink. And the minimum wave actually can only support low distance communication. That naturally actually fits into what edge uh, con- age computing supports. So from Uplink perspective, for example, because a lot of devices now these days are very, very low power, low computing capacity, and the low resource, uh, low energy, for example, IoT devices. So if they need to, uh, for example, uh, execute all those uh, computing intensive, but the latency critical tasks, such as uh, remote surgery, uh, robot operations, so in this case, actually, you probably need to rely on offloading your task to the nearby edge service. That actually is one of the major tasks supported by edge computing. So if we use Massive MIMO, for example, then Massive MIMO can greatly improve the efficiency of offloading because it can simultaneously offload multiple users. And also, actually, if you just focus on one-user offloading, Massive MIMO can greatly improve uh, transmit diversity and also improve the uh, spectral and energy efficiency. So in that case, you can both reduce uh, delay for waiting in the uh, local device for offloading. And uh, at the same time, actually, you can greatly uh, help the local users to process those uh, very, very complicated tasks. So that's actually the uplink perspective and the downlink perspective we can also great leverage power computing uh, powerful computing and intelligent cap- capabilities at age because we can actually push the base stations or the access points very close to the end users such like cell free massive bimo so you don't have to actually uh, design a global uh, optimization but by just serving the local users but leveraging the uh, local computing uh, facilities and also uh, just to tackle the local uh, uh, channel uh, environment. Because we know if you talk about a greater coverage area, actually the channel environments are very, very heterogeneous from one small area to another small area. So that actually we can great leverage this um, uh, edge computing power. Of course, at the same time, uh, intelligent capabilities. That's the machine learning part we have talked previously. So that we use machine learning to do this distributed optimization, for example, or distributed uh, massive MIMO design. But at the same time, you can uh, doing this uh, limited message feedback between the age and the centralized point, which we can call the server or cloud-based base station, so you can uh, quickly uh, design the the effective machine learning uh, massive MIMO, but at the same time, you will uh, not lose this uh, global, actually, optimization. So that's actually what I can see the great uh, uh, facility, uh, facilitating point that can be offered by powerful computing and intelligent capabilities to drive minimum uh, millimeter waves.
0: Robert, how does communications without a base station work?
1: So this is uh, one of the approaches uh, that is being investigating today uh, in order to offload the amount of work that one needs to do at the internal level. So basically uh, you have a distributed uh, access point in the environment with the capability to directly connect it to the edge computing unit bypassing the workstation, now the base station. That being said, there are challenges that we need to overcome. Because both the UV to the base station and the UV to the edge computing, both approaches need to work together. So with that, we need to ensure that we have a, we distribute the workload very efficiently. Uh, we can use we can leverage AI to sense the environment. We have to recall that the environment is changing dynamically. So sensing the environment with massive MIMO with the massive MIMO approach is very important. But the amount of work that we need to do in the amount of data that we will have to deal with, we need to ensure that we use that information very efficiently. This is where when we sense the environment, AI in signal processing can couple together to inform the edge computing, what are the changes in the, in the environment? And then that would help us partition the architecture well so that we can tell the antenna, you're going to do what you need to do to ensure that we move that massive amount of information efficiently and ensure quality of service. And at the same time, the massive MIMO system and the, with that number of antenna element will efficiently sense the environment and inform the edge computing units how to optimize the, the next weight vector, the steering vector to ensure that we maintain latency and quality of service.
0: Rose, what is the process of moving into massive MyMap with emerging technologies such as deep learning, machine learning, and artificial intelligence?
3: Uh, that's a great question. Actually, one thing we are sure, in order to move into massive MIMO with emerging technologies, we need to combine the domain knowledge that has been developed already in communication technologies and the signal processing technologies with intelligence enabled by machine learning and AI algorithms. So, by saying that, the intelligence enabled by machine learning and AI algorithms, and these days we have huge advancement of both theory and model and uh, uh, testing and prototyping this uh, development in this area. And uh, in the communication and uh, signal processing field, we have a huge development and advancement as well. So we need to combine both fields. And then by leveraging the big data, we are offered these days together to tackle the challenging issues in massive MIMO. So the, the, the areas like challenge issues in the massive MIMO we have already mentioned before. This can include channel estimation, uh, user distribution prediction, especially in the heterogeneous environment. Traffic estimation, same, same in the heterogeneous environment and the forming, interference control, power control. But the good thing is we have already seen extensive research that has been actively developed and carried out in this area already.
0: Back to you, Weber. Do you have any thoughts on the roles research, academia, and industry can play in determining how technology can meet the envisioned future?
1: So this is a very good uh, question. We cannot get there without the help of academia. Uh, Keep in mind that we have to maintain or even lower latency while we increase the number of antenna elements by so much because we understand that the need for the user to move massive amount of data. But we need to ensure that we reduce the amount of power that we use as a base station. We need to develop efficient receiver architecture and power efficient devices to ensure that we do not Put to most stress in the cities. power system. And then also as we move to that many number of elements in the antenna, no beam forming techniques need to be developed. The rule is as you increase the number of antenna elements for a given frequency, the beam width is going to be smaller. But now we need new techniques to ensure that as the user is moving, depending on the speed of the user, we keep the user in the beam to minimize interference and loss of service. Therefore, resource management is key there. We need to ensure we can do that efficiently. Artificial intelligence. What we used to do in the old days is ensure that we transform the data or the information that we have into images uh, and then give it to the uh, train network to give us results. The trend in academia these days is to ensure that we pass the raw data to the network and then learn from it. And this is a new area being developed today. So we need their need to help us go through that massive amount of data in a very short period of time, come up with results. So only academia can help us do that process. So using, using the, the, the power of academia will certainly make this process very efficient and address the the, the, uh, future. And then also, as we partition the network, sensing the network, having that massive amount of data, this is the same approach that DARPA proposed recently using RF machine learning. We need to go through the data as we're receiving it. So that is providing as input to the machine learning network or deep learning network, the raw data, so that the network can tell us more about what is going on in the environment, so that we can better understand the channel. Keep in mind that we talked earlier about partitioning new architecture, having the base station perform what it does best, and then offload part of the work to the edge computing. So the best way to do that is to ensure that we sense the environment very well. And Massive MAMO can do that for us. And then also pass that information to the edge computing unit to help optimize what we need to optimize to ensure that we provide the best quality of of service and maintain the low latency requirement that we need to do. as you think about that massive amount of work that we need to do, only academia can help us tackle this problem.
0: This has been really informative. Chris, where can our listeners go to find out more about this subject?
2: Oh yeah so um you know for the uh listeners and our audience you know go to our web page so i think um uh, if uh our uh listeners would do a search on IEEE future networks right and then look under the massive mimo working group uh they would you know see uh our you know the scope of the uh scope of work for the group our our, uh, sort of, uh, our purpose, right? And our sort of thinking on, you know, what kind of directions the whole group would be, uh, taking. So I like to add that, um, you know, it's actually a lot of fun <laughs> working with, uh, you know, Weber, uh, Professor Hu and the whole massive MIMO working group. You know, we have, a subject matter expert on, you know, let's say, um, some of the newer topic, intelligence service. Massive MIMO radar and so on. So personally, I actually learned a lot from um, you know our interaction and discussions with the group. And maybe here I want to take a moment to do a little bit of advertisement for the group. Um, you know, we found that um, we held this uh, what we call a virtual hackathon session uh, before, right? That you know on a Saturday, you know, a group of us will just you know get online um, and. You know just talk about the technical topic and then you know we would do like a deep dive and 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 the member would really sort of um write down their vision for that topic uh for massive mimo and then at the end of the day we will sort of reveal okay so this is what we um you know this is what what we have done for the day right these are sort of the ideas generated and 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 this is how the group have organized them so we we found that very productive so i i would see sort of in the future we may uh hold additional sort of hackathon sessions so uh you know for anyone sort of interested in you know you know getting together and talk about you know massive mimo or 5g or 6g or communications with a really tremendous group of experts i would say hey come join us i think uh, i think that would be a lot of fun
0: Great. So, one final question for you all: How does the massive MIMO working group fit in with other working groups of the INGR to advance the future of networks?
2: I would uh, uh, you know, talk about some of my thoughts, and I'm sure Weber and Professor Hu would, uh, you know, uh, would be able to fill in more more details. So, you know, from working with the group and also, you know, within the larger sort of IEEE. Uh, future networks, right, like in our virtual workshop, in our briefing and interaction with the other groups, we found there's actually a lot of interaction and um, and you can say maybe even interdependencies with the other working group. Like for example, most recently, we were uh, exploring testbed for Massive MIMO. You know, for some of the, the concepts, we think that um, if we really want to go to the step of maybe prototyping prototyping something, um, you know uh, doing an experiment of something we need you know some kind of test bed so there we can learn a lot from the test bed group and then um, uh, you know going to something sort of uh, maybe we um, re- sort of affecting to all groups we also have a lot of discussions with the standards group right because uh, we we say that we well we recognize that massive MIMO is only one component of the whole cellular network, right? And even cellular network, it's only one component of the overall communication system. So, you know, how do we, uh, you know, interface with the other components of either the cellular network or the the whole communication system? Would Massive MIMO be, would we have a standard of our own or should we maybe, um, you know, conform to a, a certain standard so that you know, any kind of other system can just talk with a, a massive MIMO system. So those are very active discussions we have with the um, uh, standards group. So I think those are just some of the examples, uh, as you may see, right? The the very deep interactions that we have with the other working groups within IEEE.
0: That sounds great. Will there?
1: So. Uh, I believe, uh, simply put, uh, we are one unit operating together to ensure that envisioned future works. So you do realize that a lot of the issues that we just mentioned, we're looking at only one part of the overall system And then we are receiving inputs from all the other groups to let us know what is possible. And then by working together, we kind of bringing information to each other to ensure that each group is aware of the trend and then what we need to do to move the overall future network forward.
0: Rose, do you have any additional thoughts you'd like to add?
3: Um, Yeah, I think uh, I agree with what uh, Chris and uh, Weber just said. I think uh, massive MIMO is actually an area that involves lots of theory, algorithms, prototyping, standardization, uh, proposition uh, development. So it naturally fits as a point or working group that can interact with a lot of other groups such as standardization, such as system design, uh, hardware, signal processing, millimeter ways, AI optimization. So I can see lots of good collaborations. And besides that, because this is the area that involves lots of theory, algorithm development as well. So I would say besides the uh, uh, collaborations among all the groups uh, inside uh, INGR. And I would strongly encourage the uh, collaborations between, say, industry, academia, or among industry, academia, government. So all those units together, we would like to see more participants uh, from uh, academia and industry to get involved in the future.
0: Thank you for listening to this edition of the IEEE Future Networks podcast with the experts. Discover more about the IEEE Future Networks initiative and inquire about participating in this effort by visiting our web portal at futurenetworks.ieee.org.